and love Him the way that we should. I don't think the two can exist. Um, I think that when, when the disobedience takes place, there is a love of self that we give higher priority to than our love for Him. And over and over again, we find throughout Scripture, the Bible teaching, the fact that the men will know that we're His disciples if we keep His commandments. People will know that we love Him if we keep His commandments. And these are the displays of the heart. Uh, it's interesting because the Bible teaches quite clearly that man can't see the heart. In fact, it says the man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh upon the heart. Jesus said, or Christ said, that He was the one that searcheth. In the Psalms it says that He's the one that searcheth and trieth the reins of the heart. He talks in Jeremiah about the heart being deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And uh, man can't see our heart. The only display that man can see of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ is through our obedience to Him. And uh, I want us to, in the day that we live, especially, I think uh, a message like this is very, very needful uh, among God's people. Uh, I want to make sure, first and foremost, that uh, we understand that when God saves a person, there is a transforming work that is done on the inside. The Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell someone who is truly saved, someone that has put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done on Calvary for us. The payment for our sin. We spent some time in Sunday school this morning even dealing with this issue. That Christ came as our Savior. He came as our intercessor and the, the one that paid the atonement, paid the price for our sin, that we could have fellowship with God. And uh, this, this trusting, this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is quite clearly told to us in Scripture as the way to, trust, uh, to, to have our sins forgiven and to inherit eternal life. It's not by our works, but it's by God's grace through the faith that we have in Him. And very important that we understand this. Once we're saved, then there ought to be a transforming work in our hearts and our lives. Some people grow the fruit of that transforming work is slower to appear than others. And because of that, uh, we're not to judge those or be critical of those who are not growing perhaps in our sight as fast as we grew. Uh, or perhaps haven't quite gotten to the level that we're at. Or maybe we're looking up to people and saying, boy, those people are so much better Christians than me, and we get discouraged because we don't seem to be growing the speed that they're growing. Those things are not to be judged by individuals. Those are things that God deals in the hearts of men and judges them. God is the one that helps to, through His Holy Spirit, guide and direct us and help us to grow and bring understanding in all wisdom. Uh, we don't understand the hearts of another person. The only one I can even partially understand is my own heart. And even then, I don't know that I know it fully. And I want to encourage us in some things today through some writings that Paul gave to the church at Corinth in regards to our love for the Lord Jesus Christ and our commitment to Him once we are saved. And the day that we live, more and more we are needing these truths to be taught to us. If you will, let's take a look in verse number 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9. Paul says this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves 
with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And I want us to understand, as Paul's writing this, he's listing, not an exhaustive list here, but a list of examples of the life that used to be lived when the Bible referred to it here in verse number 9 as us being unrighteous. When we get saved, I want you to understand this, that even though we are unrighteous, we are made righteous through Christ. We, are, we take His righteousness, the Bible uses the word imputed, and this righteousness is put on our account. And we are made, the word justified means literally to be made just as if I had never sinned. And when God, who is a holy God, looks down at sinful man, He does not see the sin of man anymore if we've trusted Him as our Savior. He sees the purity and the righteousness of His own Son. So he's speaking here of those that are lost in verse number 9 when he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? He is not speaking here of works salvation. He's speaking of those who have either been made righteous by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ or are remaining unrighteous and lost in their sin and undone condition. He goes on to say in verse number 11, and he, and he clarifies this by saying, And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message. And for the next few moments, would you help our hearts and our minds to be wholly focused on the truth. May we seek for it. May we hunger and thirst for it. And Lord, that there would not be any burdens or distractions. I pray that you would... Help my heart and my mind tonight, uh, this morning, as we preach. And Lord, give clarity. Uh, the, the body and the physical frailties of sickness and, and uh, the, uh, the fallibility of hearts and minds oftentimes could be a hindrance. And we ask that you would help today and give assistance that the words will be articulated clearly. The truth will be uh, easily and, and, and uh, expressed and understood. And so, Father, I pray that You would help us in all aspects of the preaching today. And above all, Lord, I ask that the power of Your Holy Spirit will do a work in our hearts. May His conviction, may His teaching and instruction in our hearts be very apparent and evident as we leave this place today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, in writing of, of the, the salvation experience here, speaks of the fact that there were those uh, that were found as unrighteous or those that were unsaved, and he characterizes them with a particular type of lifestyle. And uh, he lists a number of things that are the things that an unsaved person would do. By the way, uh, when, when somebody comes along and tells you that as a Christian, it really doesn't matter, uh, you don't have to conform to something outwardly, you don't have to, you don't have to uh, live a certain way, uh, as long as you love God and as long as you have your salvation, that's all that matters, and you don't have to live a certain way. I, I, wanna, I want you to understand this, that why would we, after trusting Christ as our Savior, want to appear to other people like a lost person? How, how is that drawing others to Christ? How is that trying to help them come to saving, a saving knowledge of Him? If, if a man or a woman looks at you or looks at me, and they see a life that is lived the same as a lost person, 
One who has not had the transforming work of God done in their life. What would there be that would cause them to desire the things of the Lord? And so it is very, very important for us as Christians to understand that when we get saved, uh, we are saved. Whether we live a certain way or not, we are saved. But God's pleasure, God's joy is found when His children walk in truth. When His children live a life that is pleasing uh, to Him. When, our, when His children forsake the old nature and the, the law of sin and death, and they begin to walk in the Spirit, and they begin to allow the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in their life. As Paul deals with this, he deals with a few things in verses 12 and uh, down to verse number 18. He said, And he expresses this thing. He says, look, all things are lawful for me. I'm not going to lose my salvation. I was talking to a person just this week, and uh, they, they said, you know, there are churches that teach that if you don't uh, uh, wear a skirt to your knees, that you're going to die and go to hell for that. And there are some churches, believe it or not, that would teach that exact truth. That, my friend, is legalism, saying that salvation is dependent upon our standards. But to have standards in our life is not legalism. To have standards in our life is something that we do to please God. Because Paul says this in verse 12, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. I'm not going to lose my salvation if I don't uh, live the way I should. But it does not mean that it is expedient for a Christian to live this way. The word expedient was actually, uh, when it was translated, it was a word that had been used in the ancient languages as, a, as a, uh, an athletic term. And it had the idea or the sense of, of giving the advantage to, uh, to give the, the, the home court or the home field advantage, or to give every possible uh, uh, effort to make the way clear, to make, to make the, the surety of winning the victory. And this idea, and the word was used that way many, many times. And then when it was translated into the English language, the word expedient comes to mind. It helps us to understand that this is dealing here with things that will give us the best chance, the best opportunity to do what is right and pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And Paul mentions just briefly here the importance of the fact that even in a Christian's life, sin can take a hold of us. And it can become what the Bible refers to in the book of Hebrews as a besetting sin. It can be something that we can't seem to get victory over. And so, yes, there ought to be an effort. There ought to be a bringing our bodies into captivity and our thoughts into subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. There ought to be an effort, there ought to be a diligence put forth. And the motivation for that ought to be our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks of meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God will destroy both it and them. And uh, the idea of, of uh, different meats, and Paul speaks of this, uh, meats that have been sacrificed to idols and different uh, uh, worldly practices uh, are illustrated here in verse 13 and 14. Uh, the idea that the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body, and uh, Christian folks that think that the morality of today is acceptable in the eyes of the Lord, uh, have missed the boat. They've not read it in Scripture. Because the Bible tells us that the body is not for fornication, it's for the Lord. It's to be set aside. It's to be pure. 
Our thoughts, our body, our, our emotions, our actions are to be pure. Verse 14, and, the God, and God hath raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by His own power. Know ye not that your bodies, notice this, your bodies are members of Christ. We know that when we get saved that our soul is secure in Christ. But our bodies? Our bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. Why would I go back to the old nature? Why would I commit such a gross uh, 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 disappointment to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and to break His heart and to cause so much sorrow in His heart to go back to living the way that I did before I was saved? Why would I take those members of Christ that now belong to Him and join them with a harlot? What? Know ye not that he which is joined unto harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. By the way, we ought to have some good preaching on fleeing fornication in the day we live. It's appalling to me how many people that sit in and are members well well. Uh, well, uh, faithful members of Bible preaching churches that live a life of fornication and immorality and have no problem doing it. They think, oh, it's just the day we live in. Everybody just expects this. But God doesn't. And the only one I'm trying to, to impress, the only one I'm trying to seek approval from is the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Now, Paul goes on, and these are the verses I want us to get our message from today and to get some points from today. As he goes on to say in verse 19, what? Now, let me just stop there for a moment. <laughs> this is not an interrogation where Paul is saying, I'm getting ready to ask you a question that I don't know the answer to. This is an expression of an incredulous attitude. I can't believe you guys don't know this yet, is what the expression is saying. What, what, look what he says here. What? Know ye not? What is not a question here. What is an exclamation of surprise? That this, this truth that Paul is getting ready to express in verse 19 and in verse 20, this truth that he's getting ready to give to us is something that when we get saved, we just ought to know. It's just part of what we are. It's part of who we are. It becomes something that is instinctively understood by those who have had the Holy Spirit of God come to reside inside of them. This is, this is the basics. This is the milk of the Word. The first oracles of God. What? Know ye not? That your body is the what? Temple. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are what? Not your own. And Paul says, what? You, you don't know this yet at church at Corinth? You've been saved how long and this is still new to you? That you don't understand this thing? Look what he says in verse number 20. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore... Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's not enough to say, well, God knows my heart. There is to be a distinct change 
in our bodies when we get saved. Now, we don't do this to get saved. Don't mistake what's being said here and think, well, we're preaching work salvation. That is not what we're teaching. What we're teaching is, how in the world would anybody who's been bought with the price, who has the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them, who has had the heart transformed, how in the world would we ever have the desire to go back and live the way that we used to? There are some things that, that I believe that are, are the way the Apostle Paul uh, spoke here. They just ought to be understood. You just ought to know these things. You shouldn't have to be told. Uh, if I tell Jonathan uh, this week I want him to go out and mow the grass, and he pulls out the lawnmower, the, the push mower, and he walks back and forth pushing this mower, and I come out and I don't hear any noise. I say, Jonathan, what are you doing? And I look at it, and the grass is still just as long as it has been. I say, what are you doing? Well, you told me to come out here and mow the grass. I got the lawnmower, and I started going all over the yard with it. Well, haven't you started it up yet? Well, you didn't tell me I had to start it. There's some things you just ought to know. And I use that illustration because it's amazing how often there are things in the Christian life that we just ought to know that we don't. Because of Calvary, because of what Christ did on the cross, His transforming work that He did in my heart and in your heart, because of this, Paul says, first, your body is a temple, the Holy Ghost. You ever take time to read about the tabernacle and the temple in Scripture? There were certain things about the temple and the tabernacle that when he uses the term, our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, we need to understand that temple ought to be treated the same way that the temple that was made in the Old Testament and later uh, 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 the tabernacle and then later the temple in the Old Testament was treated. There were some things that, that they were expected by the nation of Israel regarding the temple because of the sanctity because of the very presence of God Himself residing inside the temple. The temple was a place that was demanding of absolute purity and separation from the world. A holy God was going to put His presence inside this vessel called the temple. And because of that, there, was, there were rules about the purity when men that were doing the daily priestly performances of their duties, they would have to purify themselves and go through a time of making sure that their clothes were clean and that they had gone through a ceremonial purity thing to make sure that when they were doing the work in the temple, that they were absolutely pure. There had to be a washing in the labor. There had to be blood that was applied when the high priest took the blood of the atonement sacrifice into the Holy of Holies, if he was found to be unpure, they would die in the presence of the Holy God. I'm thankful today that we don't die in the presence of a Holy God if we're unpure. Paul says, now all things are lawful for me. In other words, I'm not going to die and go to hell because of it. But he said, things are not, these things are not expedient for us. He's saying, certainly do not bear the marks of someone who's trusted Christ as their Savior. There ought to be a purity in the vessel that God is going to live in. You say, well, pastor, it's just the Holy Spirit. You understand that the Holy Spirit is 
part of the Godhead. We don't think of them as three distinct persons that have lessening value to them because they're not God the Father. They are all co-equal. They are all the same. They are all one. The Holy Spirit of God is just as important and just demands just as much sacred and purity, uh, sacred treatment and purity of life as God the Father would. And if we are the temple, if our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, it demands purity. We live in a day where where we we just kind of we kind of brush it off and we say, well, purity doesn't matter anymore. You know, the way the world is, the world considers these things. And, and, and by the way, have you noticed this? As the vileness of the sin of the world becomes more and more wicked, the things that used to be wicked in our sight are not quite as wicked as they used to be. The things that the Bible refers to as wickedness in the eyes of God, we look at oftentimes and say, well, that's just a choice. It, it's not that big of a deal. Yes, it is. Because my body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. He lives inside of this thing. He sees what my eyes see. He hears what my ears hear. He knows the thoughts of my mind. And because of those things, there needs to be a diligent effort. There needs to be fervency given to this idea of living a pure life. Living a life that we say, I don't want to have any part in it. You know what was said, what John said of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ? I think it was John said, it might have been Peter. But he said, in Him is light, or, in him, or God is light, and in Him is no darkness, what? Anybody know that verse? At all. Not a little bit of darkness. Not just the, the little darkness, not the grayish hues. The Bible says there's no darkness in Him at all. And the striving of our hearts ought to be, I don't want to have any darkness in me at all. I don't want to just, I don't want to just have a separation. I want to have complete separation from the world. Now, I'll tell you this. The old nature is still in us. It still wars. The Bible talks about that. And there are times, and I'll tell you this, we sin enough when our heart's desire is for absolute purity. But when we drop that guard and we say, I'm not going to really give a lot of effort to it, how much more we begin to sin. And while we will never make absolute purity until we get to heaven, it ought to be the striving of our hearts. Not because we want people to pat us on the back and say, what a great Christian we are. But because we understand that the Holy Spirit of a holy God lives inside this body. It is His temple. It is precious. It is sacred. It is something that is to be treated with such respect as we would give the house of God. Because it is His house. It is His temple. It is where He resides. There are things that we do in our lives that we would never think of doing in a church house. Why? The church house isn't where God resides. Our body is. There is a demand of purity. Secondly, there is a demand of separation to Christ. We're to glorify Him in every aspect of our lives. 
Number three, there is a laboring with God. Hold your place here for a minute. Just turn back a couple chapters with me to chapter number three. First Corinthians chapter number three. Because of Calvary, because I have been changed, because I am now the temple of the Holy Ghost, there there demands purity in my life. There demands a separation to Christ. Not just avoiding the things of the world, but pursuing after the things of Christ. There also needs to be a serving with Christ. Look what the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 9. Paul says this, For we are laborers, notice this phrase, together with God. Isn't that an amazing thing? Jesus said this in His earthly ministry. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. You ever think of taking the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ? Who's in the other side of that thing? We're to be labors together with Christ. He goes on to tell us that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. You and I are to be labors together with Christ. Why? Because we have been saved from our sins. And such were some of you, but you're not now. And Paul says, what? These are things you ought to already know. These are the basics. These are the things that any Christian ought to be able to say, I need to be pure. I need to consecrate my life to the things of the Lord. I need to make those important things in my life. I need to labor for the Lord Jesus Christ. The harvest is great. The laborers are few. These are things that ought not to have to even be taught to God's people, and yet they're things that, according to Hebrews, when we're at the age where we should be on the meat of the Word, we have need ourselves to be taught the first oracles of God. These are things that just ought to be known. Because of what Christ did for us on Calvary, because we are a temple of the Holy Ghost, there is demanded an accountability, not to men, but we have an accountability to God. We have to answer to Him. Look with me in chapter number 4, if you will, just a page back. Chapter number 4 and verse number 1. Look what Paul says here. He said, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ. You see that phrase? And stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is what? Required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Who's requiring this? Who am I a steward to? I'm a steward to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's His requirement. I'm to be faithful. And I am accountable not to the board of a church. I'm accountable not to a denominational association. I'm accountable not even to my own brothers and sisters in Christ. But first and foremost, I am accountable to God. And by the way, so are you. And Paul says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? You don't recognize the significance of this? That being the location 
the place where the Holy Spirit of God resides. The sacredness of this body and this life. The honor that it gives to God. The separation that it has from the world. The diligence that it gives in serving needs to reflect the fact that this body is His temple. He's the one that lives in it. Look also, if you will, turn over to chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Let's look in verse number 12. <clears throat> because of Calvary, one of the great privileges you and I have is to be the temple of the Holy Ghost. But another thing happens when we get saved. Paul said, and such were some of you, but you're not one of those unrighteous people anymore. Notice what else happens when we get saved. Look in verse number 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is what? Common to man. For you to say, well, you just don't understand the temptation I've been under. Oh, yes, every man understands it. It's common. You're not the only one that goes through temptation. Can I tell you that? It may be a surprise to you, but other people get tempted too. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is what? Faithful. Aren't we glad of that? Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Do you realize that we do not have to sin? Every time we do, it is a choice. Because God does not allow temptation to come to us that is greater than we are able to overcome with His strength and with His power. Notice what He says here. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with that temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to what? Bear it. When I got saved, I became a temple of the Holy Ghost. But can I tell you this secondly? When we got saved, we were delivered from the power of sin. <clears throat> that doesn't mean we don't sin. It just means that sin does not reign in our mortal bodies anymore. We are not under its subjection anymore. And when we sin now, it's because we willingly choose to. Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, and they were a carnal church, to say the least, if you study their church and understand their culture and their city. They were a very carnal church. They had a lot of the world in their church. Paul tells him here in verse number 12, he said, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There were people in the church at Corinth who had prided themselves that they were the godly leaders of that church. They were the examples to be followed. And yet, some of them were the very ones who were not the Christians they should have been. And when we get to a place where we think, well, I've made it. I don't, you don't have to worry about me anymore, Pastor. I've been down that road before, and I, don't have, I will never go down there again. That's a wonderful place to be, but be careful. Because that's also one of the most dangerous places to be. When we get to the place where we think that we've 
overcome sin, that sin, sin doesn't affect us anymore. That's when we need to be on our guard the most. We begin to trust in our flesh. We get overconfident. We begin to get tired of hearing the admonishment from God's Word. You know why? Because that may be for everybody else. But that's not for me. I don't need that, Pastor. I've heard that a hundred times. No, we need to hear it again and again and again and again. I'm thankful that we get to hold in our hands the Word of God. We don't just have it for a period of time and have to memorize it and then live the rest of our lives trying to remember what it said. We get to hold it in our hands every day. In fact, we're to meditate in it day and night. Don't you think that after years of living, I mean, this book's only a thousand or so pages long. Don't you think that after a lifetime of living and meditating in it and reading it day and night that I will have read at least one time through it? That should be enough, right? I can remember all of what it said. (laughs) Not if your brain's like mine. I can study and write the note down and two days later I can't remember it when I'm preaching sometimes. We've been delivered from sin. God's given us the the power over the the temptation. We need to read this book constantly because if we don't, we become overconfident. (coughs) We begin to drop our guard. We begin to think that we're standing, that we've arrived, and we begin to trust in the strength of our flesh, our own mind, to remember the things that God's Word has said. There are a couple things I want us to get from the message today. Number one, and, and probably the most important point I would make today is this, that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Because of that, there needs to be a commitment in our lives to purity. It's not okay to let that cuss word slip here and there. Well, you know, it's just, it's just every once in a while. It's not okay to use those words that we know mean the same thing as cuss words. It's, it's not okay for us to listen to or tell that joke that we know has an off-colored meaning to it. It's not okay for that. It's not okay for us to sit and dwell and to turn on entertainment and to feast our eyes upon things that will attract the flesh nature. By the way, we are bombarded with television and computers and Internet. But can I tell you this? We've got to be careful even the books we read. I'm talking about books by Christian authors. There are fictional books out there that cause so much devastation and harm of Christian's life that are written by quote-unquote Christian authors. We've got to be careful of those things. Well, it's, it's entertaining. It helps me. I, I enjoy those things. Well, the, the flesh enjoys a lot of sin. doesn't make it right. Folks, we're living in a day where there needs to be a pulling back to these truths. To understanding the fact that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. And there's a sacredness to that. 
And then we need to understand that God has given us victory over sin. And even from sin. And we need to make a more conscious and diligent effort to look for those ways of escape every time temptation comes. We have grown apathetic. We have, we've become so accustomed to committing these things and not looking for the way of escape. We've become so bombarded with the acceptability of these things in society as a whole that we no longer see them as sinful. And folks, we need to have a, we need to have a moving back to Bethel moment, if you will, of realizing that sin is still sin and God is still holy and I am His temple. My body is the place where He resides. And it needs to be pure. It needs to be right. And it needs to be godly. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we pray that You will take the message this morning. Lord, may we, may we understand the importance, the diligence that is needed to be given. May we understand the, the firm resolve that we need to have And then, Lord, may we understand the absolute dependence that we need upon Your strength 